HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Heather Chantos, all the way in from Montana. Yeah, hi. <laughs> and a crazy, crazy cab drive in yes. Brooklyn. <laughs> but we're here, we're relaxed, we're in the AC, it's beautiful. Yes. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, Michelle Michaels of Elephant Props is the one that told me about the illustrious Heather Chantos. <laughs> She's said, very kind. You must have her on the show. Yeah. And I said, what does she do? She's like... I know, but I don't know a little bit of everything. <laughs> That's possibly true, yeah. <laughs> How do you define yourself? What do you do? Um, you know, I get asked that a lot in Montana, and um, <laughs> it's really hard to explain. My boyfriend says, just tell them you're an artist. Yeah. Just say that rather than trying to explain everything that you do. Um, I guess uh, I am an artist, um, first and foremost a painter, but then um, I've been working with food for... 15 years starting out in London. Um, I started out the Telegraph in, in London many years ago when I was just finishing college. So I worked as a food stylist, a prop stylist, a set designer, um, sometimes a wardrobe stylist, and now I'm working a lot as an art director and designing. Yeah, so you set the scene. You know, there's Maison Place, there's Maison mm-hmm. Scene. Yeah. You're actually supplying the props for what yes. we see. I design the props and I set the, yeah. set the props for the, um, for the shots. London, is that your place of birth? No, no, it's not. I was born in upstate New York. Um, well, I say upstate and everybody should laugh is it at Westchester? that. Westchester? No, it's not Westchester. Okay. <laughs> Everyone always says, Westchester, no, Putnam County, one county okay. further yeah, yeah, north. Yeah. So it's almost upstate. Um 
It's Carmel, New York. I know it, yes. Yeah, so I was born there. It's a very small town. And I moved to Europe when I was about 15. So, gotcha. yeah, I wasn't born in Europe, but I'd like to consider myself somewhat, at least half of my life from there. Well, you should be taking yeah. all of August off then, right? Yeah, that would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, so, being in Europe, being in London, uh, did you study the arts? I did I um, I went to school for art history and chemistry to conserve paintings, and halfway through my first year, um, I I wanted to study to become a painter, and I very vividly remember standing in a red telephone booth in London, calling my dad and saying I wanted to change courses. And in London, when you go to school, it's like going to school for like graduate school. And you, if you change your course, you start all over again. It's not liberal arts. You can't just change um, what you're studying from month to month. So I would have to start from scratch and pay a new tuition and what have you. So he laughed very loud <laughs> <laughs> when I told him that I wanted to become a painter and said, you're out of your mind. Um, so I, I proceeded with art history for another year and didn't quite finish. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I got a job with a furniture designer in London called Tom Dixon, and that was the end of that. Well, I mean, furniture design is, is, is something that's fascinating because... It's that simple construction, simple forms, but it's much more complex than it looks. It is very complex. Um, Tom Dixon is kind of a... He's a remarkable designer. He designs in a very roundabout sort of way. Um, It's not really all furniture. He's very... um, God, uh, I wouldn't even really know how to describe it. I mean, he he really does have... um, a very sort of renaissance way of looking at how he designs everything for the home. I mean, his lighting is incredible. And historically, I think he must be in just about every design museum around the world. And I got to see a lot of amazing things come to fruition with him and watched a lot of young designers that came in to study with him. At the time, I was really only doing sort of PR and and helping him promote the design work. But I got to see a lot of stuff happening a lot of action as far as design was going so and it was a really interesting time in london to have furniture design growing um there was a uh there's a section i'm not even gonna be able to remember it now i think it's called westbourne grove which is a big area in london near notting hill gate and it exploded that year with furniture design and we got to hang out with philip stark and all the designers from capellini and it was really quite something and we went to paris for the opening of colette um, oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, Tom was there with his jack lights, which was that amazing um, plastic sort of light that was a was modeled after Jack's, you know, the kids' toys. Oh, yeah. And they would light up from the inside. And so we went to Colette, and they were all over the place. It was pitch black, and it was just all these floors full of jack lights. It was really, it was really amazing. It was an amazing time to be a part of yeah. that whole scene. So, so, I mean, talk about setting the table for all that you do yeah. now. I mean, yeah. like having yeah. that basis in furniture. Uh, yeah. How did you take that and start translating it into food or into... Um, you know, I I don't know. I guess food's always been sort of a big part of my uh, my existence. Well, I guess my mother is an amazing baker. She always was, was quite good with the the brownies. She sort of looked up to Martha Stewart. It was <laughs> very funny. We, we grew up with Martha Stewart in our face all the time. And when I moved to, I moved to Spain when I was 15 on a foreign exchange program, a sort of study abroad 
program. And I ended up in a family in Barcelona that uh, was quite incredible. They were all artists and um, designers. And my sort of fake mother, Montserrat, was the most amazing, amazing cook. And she taught me all about how to buy fish and vegetables at the market. And it was a completely different experience from growing up in Putnam County, (laughs) New York. Um, And she really sort of instilled a great sense of how to buy food and how to um, how to cook food. And from there, I think that that basis was always there. And um, the fact that, you know, sitting down to meal was a whole different experience with them in Spain, because the whole family would come every Sunday, and we would go to the market every Saturday morning and cook all day long into the next day, and then feed 50 people every Sunday afternoon without fail, everyone would show up. And that sort of that sort of basis for having meals, um, and then sort of forming a structure around it to make it look interesting and good was always something that was just there. I think even when I was um, in college at one point, I remember going out to the dumpster behind the house and finding a couple um, four by eight sheets of plywood and making a really huge table because I didn't have one at <laughs> the time and setting it on apple crates, which are a very fixed object in my life it's even still today lots of apple crates everywhere and we made this huge table and had a um a fake thanksgiving dinner for all of my friends in london that you know had never even had a thanksgiving because yeah. they didn't celebrate it there and you know even as early as that and just sort of setting some sort of great stage for the meal i think um everything that i was sort of watching and learning i just took and incorporated into what is you know my favorite thing to do with my family is to have meals and have friends over and cook for everyone so i guess i just tried to incorporate it and luckily people hire me to do it sometimes. <laughs> it's always good to get those yeah. things to to fuse things together yeah. um but crafting and being yeah. crafty as yes. it seems making tables off of mm-hmm. you no know, apple crates and two by yeah. fours uh you started experimenting with different mediums paintings with uh yeah you know, dipping things in paint <laughs> yes. uh, explain all these different uh, things that you you did it's very funny i've become very famous for dipping things in paint <laughs> i don't really know how everyone that knows you as the paint dipper yeah. yeah i am the paint dipper um actually very recently actually last week we had a shoot at my house which john kernick who you know um came out and photographed myself and my boyfriend um he's a chef chip bales and um we had a shoot for martha stewart and they said they were going to call the entire shoot dipshit because, um, <laughs> because every other every other shot was like me dipping shit yeah. in paint. Um, yeah, you know, I I guess the the painting was always there. Uh, it wasn't something that was I was egged on to do. Uh, I always very much liked doing it. And I think as I started to watch all these other creative people making whatever it is they were making, um, I slowly became aware of what I wanted to do, which was paint really huge abstract paintings. Um, and then I I had children and started illustrating and then went back to painting. And it's sort of been a back and forth um, relationship with making, with making things. And through prop styling and set designing, I've been able to create some great stuff for shoots. It used to be a lot more creative. I used to be able to make a lot more interesting objects and sets for for these sorts of things not so much anymore it's become extremely commercial yeah which is why i started doing my own thing which is why i moved to montana and decided to sort of 
not necessarily throw in the towel on set design, but um, be a little more selective and try to make yeah. my own my own style. Because from painting on bowls, plates, yeah. uh, walls of chairs stacked 12 feet high, yes. <laughs> uh, refinished jackets and chairs uh, from torn rags, dipping glass mm-hmm. jars, forks and spoons, also dipped again in thick coats of paint. <laughs> There's but a theme here, yeah. Hanging torn lampshades from trees in airfield for a fashion story. Yes. I mean... That was fun. You don't get to do that anymore? You're not... You, I don't, not really. Yeah. I mean, this shoot that I did last week, which was, we were really fortunate. Um, John had spoken to one of the editors at Martha Stewart and suggested they'd come out and do a story because we live on a 120-acre farm in Montana, and it's quite beautiful. Uh, there's eight outbuildings. They're all different barns that are all a very light shade of pink, which is <laughs> my mine and my daughter's favorite color. Um, so it's... It's really quite a magical spot. Uh, he suggested that we do this shoot, and when he came out, it was so great because the editors were just very in support of us doing our own thing. And I was thinking while we were shooting, you know, God, I haven't, I haven't really worked this way in a really long time. Um, hanging lampshades from trees in airfields, you know, the, the, those are, were the days. I mean, that wasn't that long ago, but it just it doesn't seem to happen in the same in the same way anymore. Um, I was the art director for Corin Day, the fashion photographer in London who passed away last year. Um, we were very fortunate to work for British Vogue and Italian Vogue and Luomo and all these great, great, great fashion publications. And we would do the most incredibly insane things. Yeah. And it's really funny, actually, because now uh, three of the barns look like sets that I had actually built many years ago for Italian Vogue with this like torn wallpaper and um floors with crazy um ripped up boards and it's rather dangerous and sort of (laughs) disgusting looking at times but really sort of beautiful is kind of a beautiful mess um so yeah it's it just it just doesn't happen that way anymore i think things are the publishing industry has changed a lot and there is a huge focus on food which i think is amazing i'm very happy that i to be a part of it but it's not necessarily always in the most creative way well, as far as the mainstream publications yeah. Well, go. I mean, yeah, it's in, well, coming from an art history background, yeah. um, it sounds like what you're explaining is more surrealist than realist. Yeah. And, you know, the and, fantasy yeah, world of And it. from, from, from farm to table and yes. everything that's happening in the food world, everyone wants to see it in a, you know, a real environment. Right. Um, so that, that fanciful. You right. Know. Well, which is where I think, you know, I think there's room for both. Um, I think that the, farm to table sort of movement is is amazing and i'm very much happy to to support it and i'm doing it at home all the time but i do think that there's still something nice about like when we used to shoot for gourmet uh we used to we would be given almost scripts or given a a concept like mood boards yeah well they would literally give us a sheet of paper and they would say okay so this is the deal we're gonna go to a lighthouse and there's a 75-year-old woman that lives in the lighthouse that used to be a huge fashion designer in New York City, and she left it all behind and moved to this lighthouse by herself, and she's going to have a dinner party with all of her friends coming from New York City to this like remote place in, in Connecticut. And um, so we would go on location to this lighthouse, and I would basically have to create this story around a menu that was given to me. I was given that and a menu. And it was this huge sort of fantasy world of creating a set where people could enjoy this amazing 
meal with, you know, fake friends and family, but (laughs) (laughs) I was totally living in a fantasy bubble, but was something really beautiful about it because you could do really creative things. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, projecting a story like that, that, that was unrealistic in that sense. Yes. How did that make you feel as an artist? Like uh, showing a scene that had to be dressed up that didn't actually happen in real life? It was... I I thought it was really great. It was this, the same sort of mental process as making a painting or making a drawing. You sort of break it down into almost sort of graphic shapes. It, you know, the color of the bowl to match with the ceviche that's going to go in it. And I mean, I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but there's something food is really beautiful and and to be able to support it and make it even more beautiful and spectacular by creating sort of fantasy world around it is I think is it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's not just a white plate <laughs> and lemons no, anymore. No, who wants a white plate with lemons? I mean, it's just so boring. I think there's, you know, and I, I mean, I think there's so many restaurants that have taken that on board too and have done um, some really interesting things, you know, where you can all sit together at the table even though you don't know each other and that sort of sense of of, of community and, and sort of getting together and just sharing something that's really, really beautiful is, is nice. Listen, well, we're going to take a quick break okay. and talk about your move to Montana. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> what is that, Big Sky State? Yeah. Yes, B- Big Sky, Montana. Yeah, I think it's Big Sky State. Excellent. Well, we'll be right back. You've Thanks. been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Heather Chantos, Lady of Montana. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, moving from this very creative urban environment that is New York and, you know, priorly London, um, why Montana? Um, That's kind of a long story. Um, But, you know, I went to Montana when I was 12 or 13 uh, to visit an uncle. And it went to I went to Missoula, and it was really it's really beautiful. But back then, actually, it was quite different. Uh, they have a paper mill there, and so it was kind of gray and yucky, and you could barely see the mountains. It didn't 
it didn't feel the way that it does now. Um, so uh, I actually moved there out of a relationship sort of that I had made in New York and then moved to Missoula about two and a half years ago, um, but that didn't work out. And so moved back to New York uh, thinking that I should come back because I had continuously been flying back and forth as I still do uh, from Missoula and we came back to New York my two daughters and myself and to our loft in Brooklyn and they turned around to me after being there for a week and said we really hate it here can we please go back <laughs> <laughs> and so I said yeah you know I actually hate it here too which I don't hate New York, but living there with living here with two kids is kind of tricky sometimes. And Montana was quite spectacular. So we turned around and moved back. And the guy at the moving company thought I was completely insane um, and shipped everything back to Montana. But we moved to Bozeman, uh, Georgia, just outside of Bozeman, closer to a town called Belgrade. And we are in a valley that is just surrounded 360 degrees by mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds pretty serene. It's pretty amazing. It's yeah. a very special and unique spot, and it was a total fluke that we ended up there because we were meant to live in a Victorian house in downtown Bozeman that got sold the week before um, we were supposed to move there. So we ended up in this crazy house with lots of barns, Yeah, which is kind of a dream come true, actually. Yeah. yeah, it's good to have that kind of space. Yeah. Because it also gives you mental space to be able to, it does. you know, store and create. It and does. I have a dinner party barn. I have a studio. <laughs> I literally have a dinner party barn. Um, I have a studio workshop that's huge and I can make a huge mess in. And there's a tractor shed and a grain silo and a cow shed and a chicken coop. <laughs> it's really... Um, it's so funny trying to explain it to people here that I work with and having them out last week to do this shoot was so nice to collide the two worlds together and sort of see how it would mix. And everybody, I think everyone wants to move to Montana. Now. Yeah. Well, I mean, is this the basis for Milk Farm Road? Uh, Milk Farm Road did start in Montana. It started in Missoula. Um, I, I've always wanted to sort of create something that sort of spoke more of my aesthetic, um, not always just in a sort of abstract sense for for creating paintings or illustrations, but for creating things that are utilitarian. Um, so I've sort of been thinking about it for years and years and years and trying to find the time to develop it was, was tricky. And I mean, as I say that, it's still very much developing. I'm trying to sort of figure out exactly where it's all going to go. Um, and every time I create a new collection or do something... Um, a workshop or a dinner, it changes, it evolves into something else. So yeah, it's, um, it's a great foundation. It's a great place to be able to sort of sit back and think about the ways I want to grow this thing and make it into what I want it to be. So right now Milk Farm Road is kind of a design slash dinner event, Um, something based around both art and food. And it features handmade and vintage items, yeah. which you also synchronize with uh, sales online. Yes, I do the sales online at the same time um, as an event, usually. Um, the next, well, I'm going to do one in September in Montana again. Um, and then actually in November, I have been talking to this woman in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, and she is an architect and has built some incredible 
houses and is interested in me coming to do something there. Um, so I've been thinking that it would be really nice to start doing this on an international level. I, I would love to go and do something in say Portland and Seattle and, um, find different locations and, and sort of special unique spaces to do it in. Um, but I'm now I'm thinking, Hey, we should go to like the rest of South America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go big first and go somewhere else? But I'm, it's, it really, it sort of morphs every time. Um, it's not, and sometimes there really isn't an actual event, um, uh, that goes along with it. It's just something that I am inspired by a, particular thing that I see if I'm traveling and I create a collection of sort of sorts um, based on that so it changes all the time but yeah I'm trying to make it based on an actual event like the blue dinner in Brooklyn yeah. what, what that was, was the first the blue one dinner? well the blue dinner actually thing, you know again Michelle Michael who is one of my favorite people in the whole world and uh, is an incredible incredible artist she created all these beautiful ceramics for me for this dinner and we traded I gave her a huge painting and she actually she may be the one single person that owns the most of my artwork besides <laughs> myself <laughs> um, I made her a big painting and um, I made her more paintings and she made me more ceramics and maybe that's why she had to move out of town for more space <laughs> I think she did she said she's in her I talked to her the other day and she's in Maine and she's in her her space and she says she's surrounded by by my artwork which makes her very happy so I said well that's yeah. good I eat off of your plates every night so <laughs> um yeah you know she made these ceramics and they were blue because it's her big favorite amazing color and so I started, decided to do a blue dinner and it was February so blue seemed very appropriate in this abstract theme of of the dinner and we made the whole menu I designed the menu and it was all food that was more or less blue and I made everything myself except for um one chef, uh, Matthew Weingarten, he um, created, a, he came and he created a dish. It's blue trout, which was just amazing. He had a blue emu egg that was cracked <laughs> open with the sauce in it. And it was, it was so beautiful. Um, I actually, I just finished doing his cookbook. So he came over, he's my neighbor in Brooklyn. And he came over for that with his, his wife and everybody brought something blue or um, in some sort of sense was sort of reminiscent of blue and um yeah it was really it was really cool it was really fun and everybody sat down at the table and i had um art utensils out for everyone in little jars and there were paints and whatever all over the place and the table was really just a plywood blank canvas um they had a couple glasses of wine and went wild <laughs> so is this thematic though of your event that you're trying yes. to allow people to create as well rather I, than just... I really love to see what happens when you let people doodle a little bit when they get comfortable in their little space and yeah. well and it's like being a kid in a diner with crayons yeah. it is and it's like yeah it's okay to draw on the table yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fine so it, that's I, I did that first just to see what would happen and it was magnificent. I am very, very proud to own that painting in my house and in, in, in Montana. I love it. It's one of my favorite, um, favorite yeah. pieces. Well, I, I love that you've broken down those walls of the formality of dining. You know, like yeah. you know, no elbows on the table, yeah. and you know, 
eat from the inside out as far as silverware mm-hmm. goes. And Oh, man, there yeah. were people carving holes in the table because <laughs> I made short ribs yeah. and with this like um, blueberry, like cassis lambic sauce. And it was so good. And, and, and it, the bones were left over from the ribs. And actually, it was Michelle's husband. <laughs> He's going to kill me for telling this. But he, he carved holes in the, um, in the top of the table and took the bones and stuck them in the holes and then sealed them in with wax from the candles <laughs> on the table. And when I woke up the next morning, I was looking at this thing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. It was just there were, there were like bones glued to the table with wax all over the place or sticking out of giant yeah. holes. It was very funny. Yeah, so that's so that's the thing now is to try to to have these dinners um, revolve around a, a space where people can actually create something. And I would love to do a series and have a big exhibition at the end of all the different paintings. Yeah, it because, would be so fun. I don't know. You, you always think of a dinner. You know, obviously there are leftovers you can take away, or mm-hmm. you no know, dishes you can clear. But there isn't but, something subs- substantive. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. You know, you've actually made during the yeah, you've it's always together. deconstruction. Yeah. It's always digesting. Exactly. Well, I did have to deconstruct some of the bones from the painting because <laughs> it was a little scary. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing to have something that's sort of confirmed and solid from after everyone's gotten together. And quite honestly, I think there were maybe three or four of us that knew each other, all had worked together or known each other previously, but the rest of them didn't. And everybody got along so great. And we had. Um, Jonah from Sawkill, he was an amazing, amazing furniture designer and a very dear friend. And um, we had a musician, we had a banker, we had who did the playlist for the, which was very funny. He's like, I don't know what to contribute here. And he made this awesome playlist with all this great music and sort of around the theme of blue. And um, another friend of mine is a painter and made all these little paintings. And, um, you know, I, it was just everybody contributed something, and it was it was really great. It was really fun to sort of see how everyone would contribute something. Yeah. And then the final product, obviously, it was just awesome. So, what are the themes of your upcoming ones? Well, so the one I want to do in Argentina is arts and letters. Um, I am very keen on Letraset, and I love what old, is Letraset. Letraset. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah I think you just made me feel really old. Um, <laughs> Letter set is this amazing, uh, the rub down letters that you used to get way back before we had computers and they would do, you know, typesetting and you can't get them anymore. They don't make them, but they sell them uh, a lot of the time in in sort of, you know, art stores and they're, they're considered vintage at this point. (laughs) And they have these great sheets of Helvetica letters in all different sizes in black and red and gold. And so when I was illustrating in London, I would, I would very often use them in the illustrations. And so I thought it would be so great to get my stash out and do an arts and letters dinner and have everyone bring something that was reflective of like a letter or, you know, whether it be a word or an actual letter that they had written or been given and have typewriters on the table with paper and people can type things and sort of use it and make a collage, I guess, of sorts to, on, yeah. the, on the actual table. It's just great hearing of letter said, and, you know, techniques that yeah. are applied to arts um, that seem and sound so similar to cooking yeah to food it's all by hand yeah yeah so i mean have you ever figured out an art technique that works great for food or a food technique that works great for art um well other than dipping (laughs) (laughs) i think dipping's the closest one um no you know i i think well it's funny so i I have all these great friends who i think you've spoken to a lot of them that are all amazing food stylists and 
you know, I at first I would have them over for dinner and I'd be so nervous because, you know, cause it's like cooking for a chef. You know, I yeah. think the first time I cooked for my boyfriend, I was just terrified that I was going to mess something up because um, he's such a good chef. And so I, you know, they would come in and they'd stand around in the kitchen and we'd be hanging out while I was cooking and getting dinner ready. And they're just like, yeah, you just cook the same way as you make stuff. You just kind of throw it all down and like make it all work together. And, I don't know, maybe some people might not take that as a compliment, but I do. Um, and so I guess, you know, I don't know if there's anything specific, but I think I probably handle all of it in the same way, I guess. Um, it's just sort of understanding food, understanding ingredients and how things work together and what looks great together, and then understanding art and the different shapes and forms that construct it to make it work. Um which I don't always succeed at, obviously. Nobody, you give the no, attempt. No, I, mean, I, I definitely try. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it all sort of plays hand in hand with each other, Yeah, I find. And, I mean, seeing another amalgamation are these new kitchen drawings that you've been doing. Yeah, I love doing these kitchen drawings. And everybody else seems to really like them, too, which makes me eternally happy. Yeah. <laughs> so what are they? Just based off the utensils, based off the shades, colors? Yeah. Um, mostly the utensils, pots and pans, buckets, you know, I, I love drawing, I love spoons. I think I have some sort of weird spoon fixation. (laughs) I definitely know I have a chair fixation. I spent a good three years painting chairs, um, on huge canvases, giant, giant chairs. I think it was literally for three years. I painted nothing else. Um, so I think I get fixated on objects. But there's something just really nice about the graphic shapes, like a coffee pot or a milk carton. And if you, when you know, when I'm drawing it in a sort of loose fashion, I just, I love the way it, I love the way it looks. Well, I mean, there's a beauty in something utilitarian being yeah. taken for granted. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look like eggs. Like I love, I could draw eggs for hours. I oh think yeah, they're... I have a set of uh, prints from the early 1900s of. You know, different speckled eggs yes. uh, from different oh, yeah. birds. Totally. Well, I'm waiting for our freaking chickens to lay some eggs <laughs> so I can start drawing them from real still life. That would be nice. Now you're just painting chickens being like, yeah. lay this goddamn thing. You're yes, too intricate. Yes, I'm just like, please, yeah. please. Yeah, we're hoping. <laughs> trying to start a real farm. We're, oh, yeah? Now we're just fake farm. What yeah. are you trying to do with that farm? Um, well, we did have a lot of chickens that were getting to the point of laying eggs, and then we had a chicken massacre, which was not fun. Yeah. Um, and so then we got new ones, and we have ducks, um, but we do have chickens and ducks and turkeys. And the chickens are for laying eggs, and the ducks, I hope my children aren't listening, are probably for eating. and <laughs> For having um, over for dinner, you Yes, having say. over for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and the turkeys are probably not going to be big enough in time for this Thanksgiving, but we'll see. We'll see, yeah. what, we'll see what happens. But there's... Um, and we have pheasants everywhere there. And See, when you were explaining all that, in my head, now I've constructed a scene for you. I saw Animal Farm, you know, the Orwell book. Yeah. And you're doing a big communist red uh, <laughs> dinner with all these farm animals about. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that, that's how that sounds that cool. creativity works, I guess, in a sense. <laughs> yeah. like You get this idea and you just run with it. Yeah, totally. I'm, it's, you know, and I, I wouldn't consider myself much of a farmer. I have a really great vegetable garden that we got started this year, and I can't believe it, but we have like six watermelons growing in Montana, which I think is pretty much unheard of. (laughs) Um, But it's been so, so hot this summer. So it's nice to sort of play with it. And this is our first 
this is our first summer and our first year actually properly having a space like this to do it in. So I think it's going to be a learning process yeah. for sure. Well, I will keep Milk uh, Road <laughs> Farm on, <laughs> on, on my calendar Thank on tap. You. Looking forward to seeing what else you're doing. Check out heatherchantos.com. That's C-H-O-N-T-O-S. Nailed that, right? You got it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it is milkfarmroad.com. Yes. And, you know, catch her in Montana, Argentina, or maybe we'll <laughs> will you back to Brooklyn for yeah, another that event. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Heather, thank you for being Thanks, on. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.